Ephesians 2, 11 through 21. Therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, which is done in the body by human hands. Remember that at, time, at that time you were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenants of the promise, without hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of the hostility. By setting aside in his flesh the law with its commands and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new humanity out of the two, thus making peace, and in one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, by which he put to death their hostility. He came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. For through him, we both have access to the Father by one spirit. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. Amen. Thank you, Lana. Welcome, everybody. No Halloween costumes? Nobody? Just nothing? Huh. Rude. I thought about coming in my Halloween costume. I dressed up as Mr. Tumnus. Um, uh, but I thought that the very furry legs would be distracting. Um, welcome. My name is Johnny Morrison. I'm one of the pastors here. If you are new, so good to have you. Today, we are starting a brand new series called Letters to the Church. We just finished like five months in the book of Revelation, um, and so we just wanted to move into something shorter. That's really like, what was the whole dream was shorter passages, less, less work, as much simple as we could be. No, that's not, that's not the whole motivation. Uh, Letters to the Church comes from the fact that a lot of our New Testament is comprised, maybe you could say the majority of the New Testament is comprised of letters that are written to real churches throughout the ancient world. The letter that was read today, the section from Ephesians, comes from a real letter that was written to real people from a real person. And sometimes as we read the Bible, something can happen where we make it very abstract. It's like we're reading something that's like a philosophical dialogue or a theological treatise or a systematic theology. And though it can be those things, these letters, first and foremost, were real letters that Paul wrote to friends and co-workers and strange uncles and aunts who were trying to navigate real Christian life in the world of Ephesus. When Paul says, remember that you were once Gentiles, remember that you had a time in your life before Jesus, they do remember something. Most likely, they actually remember Paul spending three years in Ephesus telling the story of Jesus to people in the synagogue and on the riverbanks. They have memories of Paul in their life or other disciples or followers of Jesus or other stories of encountering the person of Jesus. And so when he says, remember, they do remember something. Because this is like a real letter that went to real people. And so in this series, what our hope is, is in some ways to treat these letters like the very real correspondence they are. 
Now, they weren't written to us. They were written to a church in Ephesus. But we do believe these letters are for us. So we want to enter the letters at a personal level and even begin to maybe try to play around with how could we correspond back with the Apostle Paul or Peter or John, the writers and authors of these original letters. How can we take very seriously what they ask us to do and then do those things? Now, the reason we want to do this is we are, as Lydia announced in the Missio Voice, we are right up against Advent. And Advent in the Christian calendar technically is the beginning of the year. The Christian calendar, the church calendar, this ancient liturgical calendar kind of runs different than the normal 12-month calendar that we use. And Advent, that last Sunday of November, for Christians begins the new year. We begin the year with the incarnation of Jesus, celebrating that Jesus has entered into the world. And right now, we are kind of in the end of the year season. Christ our King, which is the, in a couple of weeks, the Sunday before Advent, technically is the last Sunday of the year in the Christian calendar. And there's no better time than at the end of something to reflect on what just happened in our lives, to remember what we've done, where we have come from, what we have been learning and experiencing. And so we're going to use this moment, these letters in the New Testament, these letters that were written for us to reflect on this last year or this last season of our own lives. What have we learned and experienced from Jesus in the last couple of months? What have we heard? What stories have we told? And what is God trying to prepare us for? We want to ask that question on a personal level, like what's happening in your own life, in your own story, and in your own heart. And we also want to ask that on a corporate level. What's happening in our own community. We want to ask this as we enter into a new year, as we enter into Advent and then into 2022, we do so preparing for what God has for us. So these letters are going to guide us into preparation. And there's going to be four themes that we're going to hit throughout these letters. This week, as you could hear from the text, we're going to talk about remembering. Where do we come from? What is our Jesus story tell us. Then next week, we're going to talk about what holds us at the center, what keeps us grounded in this moment. Then in three weeks, we'll talk about mission. What are we doing here and now? And then we'll end on Christ our King Sunday by talking about what are our prayers, what are our hopes for what comes next. And to guide us in this work, along with the letters, you have somewhere around you on one of your chairs these booklets that says letters to the church on it. They're very simple. There's nothing like really complicated about them. Uh, but you'll notice that in there is like the passage what we're going through. So here's the passage from Ephesians, just for reference, because I know you don't own a Bible. I'm just joking. <laughs> uh, and then there's a page for notes, uh, if that's a thing that you would like to do, take notes on the sermon, uh, blow my mind. And then, it's, I always learned it's a good way to start a sermon by insulting everybody in the audience. Um, and then here's the most important part. On every, for every week, there is a prompt that comes at the end. So for this week, there's a prompt under remember. And we're going to take time today at the end of the sermon and hopefully during the week to fill out this prompt, to spend some time remembering and reflecting on what our Jesus story is. And every week we'll have a chance to explain that. What are we asking for? What are we looking at? But that's a spot for you to write your own story, your own correspondence back to the New Testament letter. As Paul asks us to remember, here's a place to do some remembering work. And that will be true for every single 
week. So take this, hold on to it, write your letters, and hopefully it begins to prepare us for the new year. So with all that said, let's talk about our first letter in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 11, where the Apostle Paul asks the church to remember. Verse 11, Paul begins this, saying, So remember. And the question for us before we jump into the text is why? Why is the Apostle Paul asking the church to remember something? And the reason I think that's an important question is that in our own culture or society, I think remembering or reflecting can feel like a hindrance to future-oriented progress. What is uh, Pumbaa's quote from The Lion King? Put your behind in the past. Right, we have this imagination that if we reflect too much in the past, if we read our stories in the past too much, then we will not close the chapter that came before us and we will stop living in the future one. And there's some truth to that. There's some really wise thinking there that we can be unnecessarily gripped by the past and held captive to things that came before us. But what is interesting is that the writers of the Bible tell us to remember a lot. When God gives the Israelites the Passover meal, it is to remember that they have been rescued from the Exodus. When God gives to us the communion meal that we celebrate every time we gather at the table, Jesus does so by saying, every time that you gather, do this meal in remembrance of me. And in this moment, Paul says to remember. So why should we remember? And I think one reason that it is important for us to remember is that the Bible names us witnesses. It's one of the favorite languages of the Bible writers to describe the church, that we are to witness to God's story. That our lives and our proclamation and our practice is called to bear witness to a story. And that's true for the world around us, that we're supposed to witness to a story all around us. But at the very same time, I think we are also called to witness to ourselves. But we will struggle to bear witness if we do not remember our story. Some of us don't like to remember because we are more future-oriented people. Some of us don't like to remember because the past feels very difficult. But in both cases, if we refuse to remember the past, we actually silence our own stories. In 2018, before I went on sabbatical, uh, I was wrestling with a bout of depression. I've wrestled with depression my whole life, and I was meeting with Heather, and Heather, as she is, is deeply wise. Uh, She just had named something really profound that I needed to hear, and she said, silence about your own story is complicity. If you're silent about things that have happened to you, if you're silent about things that you have experienced, you actually, in some ways, become complicit in the things that that you have experienced. And she was like, that will produce sadness. If you do not let it be said... And I think that in that moment was so true of me. So I used most of sabbatical to try to name something, to give voice to something, to unsilence something. And so we remember to give voices to the stories that we carry with us. And sometimes those stories are difficult and painful. Sometimes they're really good and very beautiful and both need a voice. We need to bear witness to the truth about our own lives, about what God has done in our lives, about what we have suffered, about what we have experienced. The whole testimony needs to be declared. 
Because if it's not, then we silence our stories. And we're going to struggle to be witnesses to it. So remembering gives us a chance to tell and voice our stories. Remembering also produces gratitude. Paul says, give thanks that once you were not in Christ, but now you are in Christ. I think we move very quickly in our society, so much so that we rarely notice anything. There's an ancient Christian practice called the examine, which just has you spend like 10 minutes. It can go longer, but just has you spend like 10 minutes reflecting on your own day, both the things that are difficult and the things that are really beautiful, so that you might come at the end of it and have some things in your hand to be both thankful for, to repent of, to name. We need practices like that because we often move so quick, we don't actually have anything to name at the end of a day, good or bad. Life moves so fast, it's like we have nothing in our hand at the end of the day. And so remembering gives us a chance to enter into gratitude. It slows us down enough to hold on to what's actually happened. What has God done? What have the people of God around you done? What does your own day look like? Your own year look like? Tori and I, my wife and I, went through a season where we tried to write down as many memories as we could. And obviously we like failed at, you know, 80% of them. But it was amazing to have a habit of writing down memories, like just events, like today we ate this food, but just like really simple things because after like three weeks, we remembered so much more than we'd ever remembered before. Like, oh, actually a lot of things happen in this life that I quickly forget about. So remembering produces gratitude. And then third and finally, I think remembering prepares us to live. I think the fear is that if we remember too much or we reflect on too many things, we're actually going to stop living. But it's interesting that the Bible is full of reflective practices. Prayer, repentance, solitude. Before Jesus begins his ministry, he does what? He spends 40 days in the wilderness praying, contemplating. And actually what's interesting is he spends 40 days in the wilderness is then met by the tester and he tells the tester stories of what God has done in the past. Huh. Before Jesus begins his ministry, he spends time remembering and reflecting, contemplating and digging inwards. And I think in the same way, we need to spend time remembering because it helps us pay attention not only to what God has done, what we have experienced, what our own stories tell us, but it actually gives us moments to pay attention to what God is doing and going to do. We see where God is moving and where God is percolating and where we are invited to participate. Remembering prepares us to receive something from God and to participate in what God is doing. So why do we remember? Well, we remember because it gives voice to our stories, creates space for gratitude, and I think it prepares us for what comes next. Now, what do we remember? There's lots of things in our own lives to remember, and this is where the text in Ephesians is so helpful. What do we remember? And I'm not going to go through all of this that robustly. What I want to do is use it as a prompt in some ways to invite you to remember. So what is the first thing that Paul invites us to remember? He says, remember your, for lack of a better word, Jesus story. 
In Ephesians 11 and 13, Paul says this. So remember that at that time you were without Jesus. But now, in verse 13, thanks to Christ, you who are once so far away have been brought near by the blood of Jesus. Missia, can you remember your Jesus story? I've been working on this all week, and I'm going to walk through these prompts, and then I'm going to, I'm inviting everybody to read a letter, and so I'm going to write my own letter and read it to you. Uh, and it was, this was hard to remember, like, my Jesus story. Do you remember your Jesus story? How you were brought near to Jesus? Why you were brought near to Jesus? Do you remember the people of your life in that moment? The timelines of that moment? And for me, it wasn't like a single event or even like a handful of single events. It feels more like a progression or a narrative or a story. So can you remember maybe the themes of that story? Or maybe it doesn't even feel that clean. Can you remember the questions or the wrestles or the struggles of that story? What are maybe the defining chapters of your Jesus story? That's the first thing that Paul invites us to remember, your own Jesus story. Then Paul says, remember that Christ is our peace in verse 14. And he made both Jew and Gentile into one group with his body. He broke down the barrier of hatred that divided us. Paul is reminding us or calling us to remember that we have been made of people. This is a difficult one to remember. I don't know that there's anything we actually would like to forget more than the church. But Paul's like, remember that you've been made a part of a community. Remember that you have been made into a people. And as often as disappointing as this people is, you've been made a part of it. Do you remember how you were made a part of the people? Can you remember why you were made a part of the people? Something really powerful about Paul saying here that the dividing wall of hostility has been removed from us and it has been torn down. I find that kind of amazing because a question I get asked all the time about the church is, um, why are you still there? And I think that's a good question for so many of us to, to ask that have wrestled with this institution, that have felt hurt by this institution. Why are we still here? And I feel like Paul, in inviting us to remember, actually helps us remember the purpose of this thing. The wall of hostility is torn down. And for me, that gives me a whole lot of grace for this institution to say, oh, there was a wall of hostility torn down? No wonder we barely make it. Huh. Do you remember that you were once not a people and now you are a people? And then finally, Paul says this, remember that you are God's household built on a foundation of apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself, the cornerstone. Remember that you stand on a foundation of others before you. Friends and family and leaders, other stories that are a part of your own story. Monsieur, what is the foundation of your faith? Who is a part of that story? 
what communities are a part of that story, what leaders are a part of that story, family members, friends, both good and difficult. Who told you the story of Jesus? Who lived it well? It's interesting to think about that even just like communally as we talk about Missio as an institution. Some of you may not know this, but Missio begins with 30 people who move from Portland to Salt Lake City. So all of us in this room at some level live on those foundations. And there were so many other leaders and folks and volunteers and people who have been a part of this community long before us that we get to rest on and stand with. Because that's true of this institution, it's also true of your own lives. Paul gives us these three things to remember. Your own Jesus story. That you were once not a people and that you have now been made a people and that you stand on a foundation. Miss you in a minute, what I'd like to do, as opposed to like talking about this any further, really, I want to give you a second to write your own story. I think the most powerful thing that we can do in this moment is to respond to the correspondence of Paul. But I know that that's like kind of a big thing. Like it's not easy to think these questions through, to, to pray them through, to think them through. And so it only felt fair that I do this with you. And so I have written my own Jesus story. Um, it's not very polished. It's not very clean. I did get a little bit more time to prep than you did. Um, <laughs> but I'm going to read you my own remembrance story. And hopefully it just helps you have some space to remember your own Jesus story. So Missy, if you would, let me read you mine. In Ephesians 2, Paul says to remember that you were once without Christ. But remembering life outside of spirituality feels impossible because I was born into a faith tradition. And like mountains define our landscape, God was the defining feature of a spiritual geography that I called home, even if I was too young to understand it. But sometimes, geographies and places change. When I was a kid, something felt very benign and distantly beautiful, transformed into something that was precarious and unsettling as I grew into an awareness of the death and absence of my father. I say grew aware because my dad died when I was really young, as most of you know, which changes the kind of grief you experience. It's not so much the trauma of loss as it is the grief of an aging awareness. You come to know a lack of something. A hole in the universe that gets bigger with time as the absence of memory leaves very little to fill it. And with that growing awareness in my own life, the landscape of faith changed. It was benign and recreational, like the mountains. Fine for a child, but it could not hold the complexity of loss, and so it became a place that was contested. To abuse this mountain metaphor a few more times, a few years ago, as many of you know, I tore my ACL skiing at Solitude. Now, for most people, that run at Solitude remains just a ski run. But for me, it is a place of unplanned and unwanted somersaults. (laughs) All of that to say that one day, faith was a part of normal and natural life. But with awareness and grief, it became something very different. 
place of doubt and contestation. Now, as I remember my life before, or maybe I should even say after faith, I also have to remember that I am established on a foundation and a part of a people. Like many, the people of God have caused me deep grief, and yet I love this place because as the landscape of my own faith and life changed, Jesus' people offered respite and amnesty. After my father died, a very strange collection of men, mechanics, plumbers, and Texas pastors, took on the ill-fitting mantle of fatherhood until they could pass it on to my stepdad. So to continue using the mountain metaphor, these men were like ski patrol and on-site clinicians who provided care and safety after I tumbled down the mountain. At the time, the landscape still felt treacherous, but I knew there was shelter, which gave me the confidence I needed to return to the mountain. The thing I don't remember so well is when or exactly how my understanding of God shifted from one of fear and doubt to one of love and safety. What I can remember is the realization that something had shifted. I had begun to read the Gospels, and like so many people who read the Gospels, I became enamored with the words and actions of Jesus. It's not that I hadn't encountered the story of Jesus before. I grew up in a religious tradition. But something happens when you encounter the person of Jesus for yourself. This is like the nerdiest thing I could say. I would stay up super late just copying the words of Jesus into a notebook. Eugene Peterson, the pastor, says that we eat this book, talking about the Bible. And I think that kind of explains my experience. For the very first time, I knew this meal to be good, so I ate as much of it as I could. And as I was reading and rereading much of the New Testament and the Gospels, I came again to a story in Matthew chapter 8. And in that story, Jesus encounters a leper. And leper is the word in the Bible often used to describe a variety of different skin conditions that the ancient peoples believed were unclean and deeply contagious. So lepers were outcasts from society and untouchable. And in the story of Matthew chapter 8, the leper asked Jesus, if you want, will you make me clean? Jesus responds saying, I do want to. And then he put his hand on him. And here's what I remember most about reading this moment. It was worth everything to me. Somehow Matthew 8 was the perfect image to show me who Jesus was. That he was the God who wants to be with us. The God who risks his own body to be near us. The God who embraces at cost to himself. It wasn't just that Jesus did move closer, it was that he wants to. And for a young boy who had spent so much of life feeling alone and like those around him were obligated to care for him, knowing God wanted to be near was worth everything. As I read that, something in me began to shift. And I began to realize that my life was not defined only by the absence of my father, but by the sacrificial love of those around me who had chosen to give me presents at cost of themselves. I did not belong to most of them, yet they loved me. There was no reason they should have felt obligated to care for me, adopt me, and help me build science projects. 
but now I understand in kind of a deeper way that actually did belong to them. Because in Christ we have been made one people. As Paul says, you were once far away, have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Christ is our peace. He has made us one. You see, that's my Jesus story. One of obligation turning into presence and love. So now what I'm going to do is I'm just going to pray. And I'm going to invite you to spend the next five, seven minutes writing your own Jesus story. It can sound like mine. It can sound totally different. Maybe the thing that you highlight is the people around you. Maybe the thing you highlight is your own personal silent encounter with Jesus. It's your story. So take that notebook. There should be pens in every one of the notebook. And would you spend the next five minutes writing your own remembrance story? Let me pray for us and then do that work. Jesus, today, would you help us remember? For some of us, it's been a long time. For others of us, it's like a thing we're dealing with right now. But would you still help us to remember? Help us to give voice to a story that maybe we haven't voiced before. the good and the hard. God, help us remember so that we can slow down enough to hold all the things you've done, all the good, all the growth. God, help us remember to prepare us for what comes next. Jesus, today, help us remember. In your name we pray. Amen. Miss you, take a few minutes to write your own story.